0: Thank you for joining Sumpter Chapel's weekly podcast. We hope that this message encourages you and speaks life to your spirit. As always, we pray that this podcast will further God's kingdom by seeing one more made new. Now, let's get started with today's message. So this morning, we're looking at Matthew 26, verses 1 through 16. And we're going to see the truth God has for us about giving into what God's designs and purposes are for us but I think we can all agree as we look at the culture around us and we reflect upon the the lessons that we learn from kind of the world around us and the the humanity around us that our culture specifically in America we're this culture of abundance or extravagance like we we live abundant lives especially as you just look at what we celebrate think about the celebrity culture that we have Right, and the amount of abundance that celebrities have. Think about the amount of money that athletes make or any sort of uh, public figure makes and then, and then how much they spend that money. But this culture of abundance, kind of the, the culture that causes us to, to think in abundance or extravagance, it bleeds all the way down, right? Into middle class, working class, whatever you see. If you look at our culture and then you look at the world around us we have extravagant amounts, abundant amounts of everything. You think about food and just the waste that we, we go through with food, right? The willingness that we have to not finish the meal that's before us. These, these are just things that are cultural. We don't, we don't think about them necessarily. They just kind of become ingrained in us. You think about the technology, the overabundance of technology, right? We have it in the room right now that we can have... TVs on walls and computers that run things and phones that run the world sitting in our pocket, basically. Um, so the technology that we have, you think about um, you think about the clothes in, that we wear, the amount of clothes that we own. I have too many clothes. I'm sure you have too many clothes. Um, our homes. You think about the square footage of home. Just, just look at the world around you and the homes that people live in compared to the homes that we live in, right? We live in castles compared to what most of the world lives in, and so we don't think about it a lot, right? We don't reflect on how much abundance we have, but it's a part of our culture. It's ingrained in our culture. The difficulty with it being ingrained in the culture the way it is is not that abundance is necessarily inherently bad. It's that we've been taught to use our abundance in very selfish ways, right? Very self-serving ways. So we do things like amass wealth, meaning hoard wealth, right? We hoard items. I mean, we have TV shows about hoarders, y'all, right? So we hoard items and just fill up our homes with stuff so that you can't even walk. Funny story, when I was a kid, um, and this wasn't necessarily hoarding, but it was just the accumulation of four boys worth of toys. Um, I grew up in a house with four boys. I was the third my little brother was the fourth, and we shared a room, and just all of the toys that had ever been bought ended up in our room, and so we would either have to walk on toys or create paths through the toys, so the advantage was if dad got mad, we could make sure we didn't create a path, and we could hop up into our bunk bed straight from the door and go hide in the corner, and my dad would not come in the room because he wasn't going to step on one of those toys, right? So that was the, a little bit of the advantage. Did something just buzz over the speakers? Who knows? Okay, Maybe that was, maybe that was my dad responding. Um, but there's nothing inherently wrong with abundance, back to what we were talking about. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, but we just end up doing things with it because we've been culturally trained to do things with our abundance that are self-serving, that we take care of, like, I'm going to take care of number one, and then if I have leftover, I'll take care of other people, Right? So we view our abundance through the idea that, like, I need to constantly up my standard of living. Uh, Something's definitely buzzing, y'all. This is going to annoy the mess out of me if it's me, but I don't think it is. So whatever it is, oh, I know what it is, yeah, listen, if you're listening on the podcast, um, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that I just completely am turning off the Bluetooth right on the podcast, I don't care. Okay. So back to what we were talking about. Um, We uh, live in this abundance, and we just don't know what to do with it. So the truth of of how God created us and God's word for us is that he actually created us for abundance. Funny enough, the abundance of his presence, the abundance of what he was going to provide for us, right? You read the garden story in Genesis, and it wasn't God withholding anything. It was God giving everything he had to us but he designed us to use it in a different way than our culture has trained us to use it he designed us to be stewards of this overflowing extravagance of his love and his ability to create and give and his intention was not that it would mostly stay with us but that it would mostly overflow out of our lives into the lives of others and so this morning the truth that we're we're going to hold on to the talking point this morning is that we must respond to Jesus extravagantly. Respond to Jesus extravagantly. Will you say that with me this morning? Respond to Jesus extravagantly. The scripture that we're going to read as we reflect on this is from Matthew 26, 1 through 16. Like I said, it'll be on the screen, or if you have it with you, you can read along. This is Matthew 26, 1 through 16. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, He said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At the same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration. They agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for bury. For Someone pronounce that word for me. Burial. Y'all, I'm bad this morning. For burial. I was saying burial. How do you even get there? For burial. All right. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you designed us for abundance, and yet we know that we struggle with what that looks like in our life and how to use what you give us. And so we ask that you would in, implant within us this morning this truth that you long for us to be vessels that overflow with your abundance into the lives of others, that they might also experience your abundance, the abundance of your love. Your mercy, of your grace, of your presence, and of the material things that you give to us. And so we thank you for your son Jesus and his example and his words, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Jesus here is at Bethany, it says. And and Bethany in the Hebrew is Bait Anya. And and Bait Anya, I think is actually the pronounce, is is meaning house of affliction. It's the name of a suburb. Of that area so you think about how Atlanta has suburbs right there were different suburbs of the Jerusalem you know area so it was the big city, of Jerusalem and all these suburbs and this suburb was specifically for those that were um, sick right he was in the man at the house of a man who had leprosy so sick or very poor so so he was in a context of poverty and sickness And this woman comes in, right, and pours out this really expensive oil all over him. And there's two observations that you can catch right away as you're reading this story that just kind of make you think, right? The disciples first react in a very negative way. so why would the disciples react to her extravagance in that way, How how she extravagantly used this oil, right, that she had at her disposal? And then the second thing, that you catch is at the very end. Why does Jesus connect her act with the preaching of the good news, with the sharing of the gospel? Why does Jesus make this connection between what she has just done and the preaching of the good news or the gospel to other people? So, the first um, one is about the disciples and how they react, right? And, and their kind of understanding of money, in a sense but mostly their, their understanding of abundance and extravagance and how God purposes abundance, right? And the woman gets something that the disciples don't get, and Jesus points that out. Um, but the, the woman gets this idea that, that my response to Jesus is to extravagantly respond to him because of how he has extravagantly come after me, right, shown up in my life, that, that my response to a God that would save me out of the mess of my life is to then respond extravagantly back to him, right? And so she gets that in a way the disciples, for whatever reason, miss, and, and I think it's because they, they are caught up in a similar place that we find ourselves caught up in American culture in, a, in, a, in an attempt to try to control or hoard Abundance in an attempt to try to hold on to um, what we have, what we can get. Now it's funny because then they say, Well, we could have sold that and spent the money on the poor, right? But it was really an issue of control for them, right? They couldn't control that this woman had just taken something that was worth lots of money and extravagantly poured it out on Jesus. And so they reacted against it. And and I think we, we kind of do the same thing with abundance and extravagance in our life. That we first think, how can I use this, right? This abundance that I receive in my life, whatever it is, how is it beneficial to me? And then only on the back end think, okay, and now how, how can I, one, respond to the God who just gave me whatever it is in abundance? And two, how can I use it for others? That's, that's the, like the back end thought. On the front end, we think about us, the controlling of it, the, 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 the need to know how to use it or hoard it or whatever. And, and I think we all struggle with that, right? I grew up in the same culture all of us have, and so I had that same struggle in life of like, okay, I've got these resources or the, these relationships is where we're headed with all this, but I've got these things that God has blessed me with. How do they benefit me? How do I get the most out of them? And it was sometime in college where specifically related to money and resources, like I got confronted with a truth that that I've been surprised that most people don't know, but I got confronted with this truth about how much I had as an American compared to the rest of the world. And we don't realize it because we're surrounded by it all all the time. But if you have, this is crazy to me, if you have two vehicles as a family, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world just by owning two vehicles. Isn't that wild? Because as Americans, we think immediately, like, I've got to have a vehicle, my spouse has to have a vehicle, then my kids need to have vehicles. I mean, like, we go right there to vehicles, right? We're in the top 1% of the world if we own two vehicles. Like, that blew me away. So, uh, several things happened, like, right in a row. One, I learned that in one of my classes, and then, quickly after that, in one of the um, Christian contexts I was in, I don't remember if it was a campus ministry or a church, that had gone to, but they they did an entire discussion of missions and missionaries overseas and what they go through to share the gospel and how much they, sa- they sacrifice, and then this crazy thing happened in my life where I went to the mail one day. I was living in a house with a couple guys in, in Statesboro in college, and went to the mail, got the mail. It was mostly all junk, but then there was this this letter to me, and I never got mail at home like ever. So I opened it up, and it was a rebate check from Lowe's, and I, have ne- I had never shopped at Lowe's in my entire life up until that point, so I was like, where, I don't, why am I getting a rebate check? But of course, immediately as a college student who just got like a $20 or $25 rebate check, I went to the bank and cashed it, because I was like, before they make a mistake and realize they make a mistake, like, I got this money. So I put it in my wallet and tucked it in my back pocket, and I was like, I'm just going to walk around with cash, because I never have cash, so I'm just going to hold on to this cash till I absolutely need it. So immediately my response to getting this un- unknown rebate check was to keep it right well like that week we never had people come by our house our house was in the most just it was a neighborhood no one ever came by our house this random guy comes to our house one day and he goes on to talk about and he's actually he was connected to a church that i knew the pastor of and um and he goes on to talk about how his life had just fallen apart and and he just needed to stay one night in a hotel and he had found this hotel down the street that would give him half price and it was exactly the amount of cash that was sitting in my wallet and I'm sitting there talking to this guy just thinking to myself like okay God did you send me 25 bucks so that I could give it to this guy like like the whole time he's talking I'm thinking like you couldn't have got this money to this guy because he doesn't have an address he you know he's going going through a divorce with his wife like his whole life's falling apart in front of him. There's no way you could have got him this cash except sending it to me. And so I handed him the money. Like, I was just like, all right, I'll drive you down there. I didn't hand him the money, sorry. I drove him to the place, and then I handed the money to the guy at the thing, because even at that point in my life, I'd been taught, don't just hand people money, right? So I drove him there, and it's the, all, the like, the whole story checked out. Like, he was really just needed a place to stay for the night. He'd been sleeping in the park. Um, and And so... I would just, like, sat back, and all that had happened within a couple months of my life, and I started to realize, okay, God, you have more for me than just hoarding or holding on to or just using for my own benefit the resources that you give me. Now, that's all to do with the first observation question, and we could spend all day talking about money and resources, and Jesus talks a lot about it. But that's actually not the main point of what's going on here in the story. Funny enough, Jesus' second observation is even more powerful than just the reflection on physical resources that we have because it has to do with relationships. With relationships. Jesus, in the second part of this, where he talks about the connection of what she has done and the sharing of the good news, points to something much deeper that's happening in this woman and the whole main reason jesus came in the story of the gospel and that is the abundance of relationship that we find ourselves having that god would come and dwell with us that's the imagery of jesus coming and living with us right that god would make his residence with us that he would choose to come and pour himself out on us surround us with his presence live with us help us through life fill us with his spirit this is all imagery in the scripture that we get right that he would come and do such a thing in our life to pour out his love on us for us to hoard that, for us to think that that was all just about us, ultimately, me individually, right? Or even us collectively, that God's presence is just for us, those of us that know who he is and have responded to him already. That would be an incorrect response, right? Just as this woman responds to Jesus's presence in her life by extravagantly pouring something out it then becomes her story in her testimony and then the story and the testimony that we to this day are still telling of her that our response to Jesus is to extravagantly pour ourselves out both in response to him and into the lives of others right that the truth of of this scripture for us today is that we respond to Jesus extravagantly say that again with me respond to Jesus extravagantly respond to Jesus extravagantly not just in your immediate direct response back to him right but actually your response out in the world in how you live in relationship with others that is your response to Jesus The scriptures teach us that the best way we can actually worship God, meaning respond to God in a way that honors him, is to then pour ourselves out for others as Jesus has poured himself out for us, right? That he was willing to give up all of his comforts, all of his divinity, right? That he was not going to hold on to being God so much so that he actually became his own creation, as weird as that is, and not just his own creation, Philippians says, but he was willing to become a servant or a slave, even to the point of dying on a cross, right? Philippians gives us in Philippians 2 this path of God God through Jesus Christ completely pouring himself out for humanity. And then and then the call on our lives to turn around and do the same. What what Jesus points out here in this story, and why the story is actually significant to the to the preaching of the gospel that he says that this story will be a part of sharing the good news for generations is because the gospel the story of how God has come to be in relationship with us the gospel is actually our most important resource the gospel is our most valuable resource our relationship with God the relationship with God that we have that has been forged by Jesus Christ, our relationship with Jesus, is actually the most important resource we have. And that it should be out of the abundance of a relationship that we have with God, out of the abundance of the gospel and the truth of the gospel in our lives, that then we begin to pour into other people this relationship with God. And this imagery that we see in the story of this woman pouring oil as it runs down Jesus' head, it's not new imagery, right? It's been around for a long time, even at that point in the history of humanity. God's Old Testament people had been experiencing a pouring of something over them, a washing of something over them for a long time, all the way back to the imagery of the Exodus and Moses, right? And the waters that they had to pass through. And, and that becomes the imagery for baptism, that we celebrate in the Christian world today. That this imagery of baptism is powerful not just because it's something we do or some, some sort of practice we do that holds meaning, but because it ultimately s- signifies and ultimately points to God's work in our lives before we even knew he was at work in our lives of pouring out his presence on us, of coming after us, of doing this work in the world of actually getting to us when we could never get to him, right? It's a big theological term called provenient grace is what it's called. The grace that God showed us before we even knew he was at work in our lives. And this, this act of baptism, it, it's the culmination of that. In, some, in, in someone's life, when they get baptized, whether it's as a child, we baptized Cam just a couple years ago, or it's on as an adult convert no matter when the physical act of baptism happens or in remembering our baptism this morning what it signifies for us what it solidifies for us the depth of meaning it holds for us is god has been at work in my life even when i didn't know he was at work in my life and my response to him is then extravagantly pour myself out for him and on behalf of him into the lives of others that's my response to him that's my response to Jesus is to find myself becoming like Jesus and becoming like the woman in this story that I don't hold back this amazing gift that God has given me of a relationship with him but instead I start to pour it out into other people And so it's not just about the resources that we have. Sure, we can use money, right? Jesus in the story says, you'll always have the poor. He wasn't saying that as if they weren't supposed to help the poor, right? Jesus wasn't diminishing helping the poor in the story. He was putting it in perspective. You'll always have the poor. You'll always have opportunity to use your physical resources to bless people. And you should, right? Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't. But he's putting it in perspective that actually, ultimately, what you have to offer people is more than just money. It's more than just a home. It's more than just clothes. Those are all good things. But what you have to offer people is a relationship with their creator God, is a relationship with the one who knows them in and out and loves them more than they could ever imagine. And then is relationship with all the people who also have come to that realization, right? The deep relationships that the people of God begin to form because we each have a relationship with God. So the waters of baptism, the imagery of baptism, the power of baptism is that as I recognize God pouring himself out for me and on me, that's the reason we get water on us, not just watch it flow somewhere else, but we actually have it touch us that as god has extravagantly poured himself out on me my response to that is to extravagantly pour myself out for him into the lives of others and so we respond to jesus extravagantly will you say that one more time with me this morning respond to jesus extravagantly